Welcome to Season 2 of Don't You Lie to Me. We want to thank everyone for all of their support. We've been blown away by all the feedback. We are something. (laughs) Okay, let's go. Don't you lie to me. I'm going to have another drink. Don't you lie to me. Explain that to the kids. Okay, let's hear that story. Let's start interviewing. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Don't You Lie to Me. I'm your host, Jeff Bell, along with our producer, Warren Hicks. With this podcast, we're exploring the visual art scene in North Carolina by bringing you interviews with artists and arts professionals throughout the state. In today's episode, we talk with artist, curator, and arts educator Bill Thielen. You can find out more about Bill and his work on our website, which is don'tyoulietome.com, or visit his website, which is billthielen.com. That's B-I-L-L-T-H-E-L-E-N.com. Enjoy. The following podcast contains adult language. Oh, I like that. Previously on Don't You Lie to Me. All right, let's do this. This is going to sound stupid. If you th- Does that sound stupid? I should learn how periods work. <laughs> My mom still makes fun of me. <laughs> I don't really, I'm not sure where I'm going with this, but it, it, it's... Uh, or, yeah, but... <clears throat> I'm always interested in how people get into... A jock strap. Uh-huh. Your butt might get wet. Wow. Try to... Try to, try to Beautiful. <laughs> Stop looking at me. Way to go, Warren. Fuck you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm pulling this out of my rear end. Butterflies, airplanes, insects. Yuck. That's going to kill you. And we blew them up. That's exciting. Oh, these are also good. It was one of the most fun things I've ever seen. And it's just impossible to show it all. Shit. So I... I it's... it's well, maybe. Oh. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I've always heard people say... You make shit and you don't care. No way. Oh, Yes. Um, but uh, um, how often you get to go out in public and be a hoe? That's what my grandma used to say a lot. <laughs> I'm so glad this is public. <laughs> I'm not really going to answer that question. Um, people call me dickweed. Not perky enough. <laughs> <laughs> I was probably just going to start peeing my pants or something. Mm-hmm. That'd be amazing. Holy shit. That's my dream. Yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> now I am. You're smart ass. What? Yeah, but he's also a smartass. <laughs> Have we started recording work? Hey there, Bill Thielen. Hey. <laughs> Did I say that right? Yeah, Thielen. I always hear people say different things, and I've always heard it Thielen, and I said, that's how you say it. Yeah, well, in my, not Miami, I wish. Uh, Minnesota, <laughs> they spell it. T-H-I-E-L-E-N, so it's kind of pronounced like Thielen. So everybody goes like the Len or uh-huh. Felon is another one the way they pronounce yeah. it. So. Fucking Southerners. Oh, I hate it. So you're from Minnesota? Wisconsin. Wisconsin? Yeah, but there's the only reason I say Minnesota is because my sister lives there, and there's a kind of a wide receiver who plays for the Vikings. That's name is Thielen. There is? Yeah. Uh-huh. And so we're just, like, very proud of him. Is he a relative? No, not at all. But we're just proud that there's a Thielen out there somewhere. Out there doing some good in the world? <laughs> exactly. So I went um, for the first time last year to Wisconsin. It's real damn pretty. It's 
Land of the Lakes. It's gorgeous. Yeah. I went to like the Kohlerish area. Yeah. Oh my God. I wanted to just stay there. I don't know if I want to be there in the wintertime, but it was pretty incredible. Oh yeah. Summers. That's what my goal is to do is like spend summers in the Midwest, mm-hmm. winters down here. I like that plan. That's a dream. It won't happen, but. Where up there were you born? Uh, I was not born in Milwaukee. Milwaukee? Yeah. That's a city. It's a, it's a pretty, pretty big, big city. city. Yeah. It's like Chicago's ugly stepbrother. Yeah. Very, a lot smaller. Does it feel like that? Kind like of. you're always aware of Chicago? Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah. I loved it. I loved growing up there, and I just loved everything about it. I ne- really never went to Chicago until college. Oh, wow. Yeah. I went down. The first time I went down was to see The Cure at the Aragon Ballroom. Did they blow your mind? Yeah. It was a, well, not too much. I mean, yeah, it was a good show, but I think Chicago blew my mind because uh. I was with a lot of punk rockers and where we stayed was just like, like literally these people lived in like an art installation. Right. Like you couldn't even tell what was a room or what wasn't. It was just. Were you making art at that time? Um, That's a good question. No, I think I was like a freshman in college. I was taking an art class, but I was definitely not making art. Did you know you were going to make art? Well, I mean, I've drawn all the time, but I never considered it art. You didn't? You know? No. I mean, I've been drawing since I was like kindergarten. But you didn't think about it as art? No, no, no. It was not just at something all. you did? Yeah, it was just something I did. Just was always moving my hand. My mom was a huge doodler. And mm-hmm. so I just thought whatever I did was like a reflection of that, like a doodler. Like you're sitting there and, and you're talking on the phone and you're drawing something. Exactly. The hand's always moving. I still do it now in meetings and everything else. Right. I'm always just moving the hand. I love like being in a meeting and seeing what someone draws when they're not like thinking, just random stuff. It's pretty funny. Oh, yeah. It's really, you should see what I have now is I put a board down in my studio. Whenever I have calls, I just sit and draw while I'm talking. It's like pretty. It's pretty full. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. What and do I, you do with it? Just look at it? No, it's just like work on it. Uh-huh. But it's like, you know how people, I love people that do like calendars. They have those beautiful like day calendars and they work on top of it, but yet they fill it up like with whatever. Right. So you were in college and yeah. you were you made some drawings, but you were, weren't thinking it was art. Well, I took art classes all through high school, mm-hmm. but I never really considered. I thought it was going to be, well, I should go back because. Yeah. When I went to college, I actually was studying to be a PE teacher. Oh, wow. Yeah, because my dad was one. I thought, well, there's at least something I could do. What was your game? Did you have a sport? Not really. I just played them all because, mm-hmm. you know, nothing else to do. And I lived in a farm town. So I didn't even live in Milwaukee. Yeah. Know? I lived in this town about 30 minutes out called East Troy. East Troy. Yeah. The big city. The big city of... <laughs> 3,000. Oh, wow. That's real small. Yeah, it's farm town. Oh, sweet mercy. Yeah. So, Ben, you played a bunch of sports? Yeah. Well, until I gave up, like, you know, I love track and field. I love swimming, but we didn't have, like, a pool or anything. So I was stuck (laughs) just lifeguarding and stuff like that. Right. Teaching swimming lessons. And then I played football and basketball and track. I only played football because my friends, I just wanted to be by my friends and stuff. Right. And uh, not get beat up so much or, or something. Right. I don't know. It just, I wasn't there. And then finally, after like JV football, I was like, 
This hurts too much to quit. <laughs> it's hard. It's awful. Like all the practicing and yeah, uh, six in the morning, mm-hmm. and then after school, to, I was like, "Fuck that." I, I played tennis, and they were just like, "Go, do what you do." Yeah. <laughs> there was no like practice. There was nothing, so it was pretty nice. So you go to you go to school, go to college, and yeah. you're thinking PE. What in the world happened? Well, I had they start. You had to take like science classes, mm-hmm. and I was just like, I can't do this. <laughs> And I'd taken a drawing, no, a 2D design class, and mm-hmm. it was really super hard. Like, the guy was, like, just gave you the assignment, gave you, like, a day or two to do this impossible thing. Like crazy color theory yeah, study things? Yeah, yeah. And I would never turn in anything finished. But I still got a passing grade. I guess he just thought, oh, well, he did something. <laughs> right. <laughs> wasn't about aesthetics, for sure. When did it become something? Hmm. When did you say, like, this is something? Well, then I went through, I thought I'd study architecture. Mm-hmm. So I took a, you know, the first class that you take for that. Didn't work out. Mm-hmm. Then I took a drawing class and it was went pretty well. And then I got into the film department. Oh, wow. Yeah. I actually went to Europe for a year. Yeah. To study abroad. And the woman that I stayed with, she was like a, English teacher, and she was also a um, part-time gallery dealer. Oh, wow. Yeah. So she had a lot of art, and I would go with her and help her out on the weekends. Like, growing up, were, were you aware of, like, art and what was going on and that kind of thing? Or I took art since I was aware of making art, mm-hmm. but I was never aware of artists. Right. Like, no one, there was no one that I could really look at, you know? Mm-hmm. I, the only really exposure to art I got was... Um, through album covers. Right. I mean, that's my only memory of any kind of art. Or my sister's yearbooks, too. I remember looking at those <laughs> and just thinking that they were just amazing. Like, someone can make a homemade book? Right. You know, like, what is this? Right. So I was thinking about things. I was thinking about graphic design, stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, I didn't... I mean, when we, occasionally we would go on trips to, like, New York or something. My parents would be like, let's go to the Museum of Modern Art. Oh. And I would look around at stuff and... That's like a once every three years kind of thing. Like I, I would see things and it would stick in my head, but I had like no idea of like people's names or like yeah. anything. I knew nothing when I got out of high school. So you know I, where we went? Where'd you go? The Green Bay Packer Museum. Oh, that sounds cool. Every summer. Is that not cool? It's cool once, but not <laughs> every summer. You know, we would we didn't have much money, so they didn't have changing exhibitions or anything. No. <laughs> Actually, I looked at it like it was art because I was really into mascots and sports art, but right. not, you know. There I was guess that... Leo, Leroy Neiman. Le- I was about to say, Leroy Neiman the was the man. only artist I ever knew. I had a Miami Dolphins poster painted by Leroy Neiman. Yeah, I love it. I love the Miami Dolphins, like, colors. Yeah. It's... Like, I'm into, like, colors, mascots, like, team colors, and yeah. mascots. That was it for me. So Miami Dolphins is strong. Love it. Yeah. Who, who else is good? You know, we're Green Bay Packers, but I rejected the Green Bay Packers, and I loved, like, the Vikings. That's a good. It's good. Because purple and yellow. Uh-huh. But there was a school at... I love that we're talking about this. It's really... <laughs> There was a school, the Burlington Demons, which actually I think Tony Romo went to. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they were the uh, black and orange. Oh, that's good. I thought that was just the 
living end. Mm-hmm. And now we were the Easter Egg Trojans, and we were black and yellow. But now I look back at it, I think, oh, that's not bad, actually. That's good. Yeah. Anything with black is good. Yeah. It's just cool. Totally. Totally. I like stuff like that. Yeah, I don't like red so much or blue so much. I like the... A little bit like, why the hell would they pick that color? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. The dolphins are weird. Yeah. I mean, when someone was like, we're going to go like this weird aqua and an orange. Some, yeah. I'm surprised somebody wasn't like, no, we're not, we're not going to try that. But it fits. It's probably that Miami palette. Yeah, it know? is. They were like just looking around at what was around. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I love that color also because Howard Johnson's. It is very Howard Johnson's-y. Yeah, and Howard Johnson's was the best thing in the world because they also had their own product line. They did. Mm-hmm. You know, that had that kind of generic turquoise and orange. Right. You know. I remember um, reading something. They were like one of the first like chains, not just hotels, but like food, yeah. you know, like restaurants. They kind of like set the bar yeah. at some point. I thought it was brilliant. I mean, they had, and they also had, you know what else? We used to stay at them a couple of times. And actually, in kindergarten, they're like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I was like, I don't know. And whatever you chose... You went to visit that, like, oh, I want to be a fireman or whatever. And I chose hotels. Oh. Just because I wanted to go to one. So I went to a Howard Johnson, you know, and I was like, oh, I guess I'll be a busboy or a <laughs> hotel clerk. Or... It didn't change your life, that visit? It actually did because we were behind the scenes. And, you know, it's almost like being, for me, it was like being behind of some great opera or play or something. It right. was like, wow, there's all these mazes and stuff. That's what's. Mm-hmm. You know, and I worked in hotels too. You did all through college, yeah. You got a show right now about hotels at a hotel, right? It's all there. I mean, look at even the color was like decided was turquoise and orange, right? It's like, I didn't know if I, I was thinking that was like a Mexico thing. It is, but it's just these colors have been following me around since, right? You know, I should say something about that. Right now at Twenty One C, you've got a show called Hotel Theory, yeah, and it's on two different levels, yeah. And describe that thing. Ah, oh, well, the. Second level thing was something that happened after. I love that you use that space. Well, they I didn't plan on it. They just asked me, "Hey, would you want to, you know, use this space as right. kind of a to do something more, I don't know, installationy mm-hmm. or I think they actually wanted to make objects for it. Like thinking I had this collection of like books and things like that and I I didn't really have any. So then I thought, "Oh, how can I use it?" Right. I'll just use a display case. And so the show's called Hotel Theory. Yeah. And that comes from a book. Yeah, by Wayne Cosimo. Mm-hmm. It's a book. It's kind of a meditation. He went to a hotel. I don't know how he got the idea. I think he talks about it a little bit in the book. But he went to a hotel and he talks. He meditates on like why people go to hotels and whatnot. And he took Heidegger's Being in Time mm-hmm. uh, text and was trying – so. Actually, a little bit of part of the book is part of that, him trying to figure out that text, and then he ties it into this other thing about being in hotels, and then it just becomes kind of this big list. It's it's a really strange book. Right. It's actually two books, too. It's like half of it's hotel theory, and the same, so on the same page, you're reading two books at the same time, and the other half is Hotel Women, which is this weird novel about, oh, God, it's like Liberace and... I forget who else, what actress it was. But it's like this crazy right. story about this hotel for women. It's, I don't know, it's a pretty interesting book. And how did you sort of interpret that for the show? Well, I knew that I was going down to 
Oaxaca because of Amanda Barr's residency over Cadobro. And so I knew that it was in a hotel. So I would just, I'd never been to Mexico. I had no idea what this hotel was going to be like, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought, hmm, how can I set this up? Because also you, I didn't know if I was going to get a studio, if I was working in my room. You know, I didn't know what it was, you mm-hmm. know. So it was this, I, thought, I thought I had to go down with some kind of plan. And then so I thought, well, and I knew there were going to be writers there. And so multiple different disciplines. So it, right. I thought it would be interesting to do. And there was no agenda, too. Like I didn't have to make things or it was amazing. Right. And um, so then I set up this thing like, oh, let's just take this book. And then you take Against the Grain as like Costume uh, was taking Heidegger's Being in Time. So I thought I kind of modeled that right. for a thing. I read them down there and it just down there it was not working. Mm-hmm. Like that. And I really got rid of that for like a year or so. Wow. And I finally came back to it. Why didn't it work? Do you think it was just the, the space itself and everything was different than you were anticipating? Or Yeah, everything was different. It's a different kind of hotel than the one he's kind of stayed in. Mm-hmm. And I guess, I don't know, there's just such a Oaxaca. We got there. It was a strange thing that happened. We got there. And there's all kinds of protests going on because three, no, I think eight teachers were killed in a strike mm. and so when we got there everyone said stay inside you know there's fires in the street there's all these things so we're like oh my god what are we gonna do i i, I was just like every time i walked outside i was just a little nervous about it you know like oh are people gonna just come up to me and like right you know i don't know what right so the unknown was kind of interesting or kind of scary but that night john bowman and i walked out to mezcal bar and it was very mellow, but there was always that looming thing over it, mm-hmm. but hanging over the whole trip there. Right. After a while, it became like, oh, it's totally safe. Everything's great. Right. People are beautiful, everything. But at that first night, I had this kind of, you know, interesting thing that turned whatever I thought I was going to do about this luxurious right. hotel experience. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like, oh, no, there's a political situation going on here there's you know and plus that Oaxaca's an interesting thing because there's many multiple things about class that's going on Hmm. and so it seems rather ridiculous of me to kind of be reading that text right while I was there so you put that away what did you do when you were down there I walked around a lot like I literally walked that city uh every morning I wake up at around five Mm -hmm. so I'd get up Walk around because the coffee shop didn't open until eight, so I literally would walk, you know, like right. all over the place. I I think I lost like sixteen pounds while I was there, mm-hmm. gained it all back. But you know, it's like <laughs> while I was there, it's, and there it's hilly. It's like San Francisco. It's like everything's uphill, right, and downhill into the valley and stuff. So, so I did a lot of walking, just a lot of observing. Um, they have a great art scene there, a contemporary scene. They have traditional arts there mm. like multiple tribes kind of come there to sell their wares and wow. you know there's a lot it's a big tourist place right um so there's this and there's also this very weird division of class mm-hmm. um and so i thought looking at those kind of texts and whatnot it's just gonna have to change did you make stuff when you were down there i did i made a lot of drawings uh-huh what do they look like 
There's some of them in the show, actually. Yeah. Uh, but I also was at this crossroads where I felt like I couldn't really, as a white person, I couldn't make things about Mexico. Mm-hmm. I could be inspired by it, but I just couldn't take this amazing like wealth of culture and do something with it. It just felt just stealing. Like, yeah. Or, so I thought, oh, how can I be inspired by it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it was really, it's you know, everything was people are talking about like cultural appropriation and and whatnot. And so it was just like it was a difficult time actually to be there right. and actually make work mm-hmm. about Mexico. It's still hard, you know, because you know, I'm not Mexican. I have many beautiful, amazing Mexican friends. I yeah. love I go there as much as I can. Right. I'd love to retire there, but at the end of the day it's not my culture. Right. And so it's that became very apparent when I was there. Mm-hmm. And so that's like the text. I was like, I can't deal with this right now. I did finish it mm-hmm. when I went to Mexico City and I finished it. But it was like while I was there, it was really, right. I almost felt elitist or something. It was like kind right. of a strange feeling, which was a great thing because it really, you know, opened my mind up to a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. And then for the 21C show, you came back to it. Yeah, I was able to come back to it in a way that I don't even know how to explain it. That could be more about my internal mm-hmm. things and more about me than actually about Mexico. Right. You know. That makes sense. So, one thing that I and maybe I'm just really slow. No, no. But um one thing that I noticed with or I started to think about when I was thinking about talking to you is like place was thinking about that in Mexico, but also your work about like the South, the stuff you've done at the Nasher. And I'd never thought about that, your work in that context. What, yeah. Has that always been there? Or do you think that's sort of become over time? Or how important is it when, you, when you're thinking about making work, that connection? Well, I'm a, I feel like I'm an explorer. Mm-hmm. You know, like I really feel that I can go to a place. You could drop me anywhere. And I'd be happy. Right. Like, it could be, you know, in the middle of, you know, wherever in North Carolina. Or it could be a huge city, Hong Kong, whatever. And I think no matter what, I'm going to find something that I can relate to. Right. And so a lot of times the things aren't physical spaces, but it's my being within that space Mm -hmm. without trying to be too... I think. Sometimes I, I'm not a Southerner too. I guess I am now that I've lived here for 23 years. But even to do things about the South was problematic when I first got here. Mm. So it wasn't until like the Biscuit King and all those kinds of right. things that also that's a uh, collaborative piece. You know, right. it, was, it was supposed to be a team lunch thing, and then Jurston and I just kind of took it over. So it's just like that was kind of more Jurston, but he, you know, he grew up in Alabama, so it's like. Right. It, was, it was a little bit more permission. To me, it seems less about you commenting on something than you talking about your own response to something. Oh, Is yeah. that a thing? Did I make sense just That's now? That makes <laughs> total sense, and I feel great about it. You know, It's also out of love, too, but it's also out of humor, all, multiple things. But there's right. just like the Biscuit King, we just – I looked at it. Justin told me about it, and we looked at it, and I was like, oh, my God, this is – one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. <laughs> the place, the original place itself. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was crazy. It was, and I only saw it in when it was closed for two years. And oh, really? Grass or moss growing on the counter and stuff like that. I used to go there. 
I know. It was good. So many people. I mean, uh, it was like a real institution. I know. Yeah. I know. I missed all that. Mm. That's why it's such a like a trigger for people. It's just like to me, and I'm sure you're aware of it. It delineates a a transition in Durham. Yeah. I think for a lot of people, because they they close it, they're like, we're expanding Ninth Street, and then it just sat there forever before they did anything. I was like, why why did you close that? I know. But right? then it's like. Ninth Street and all that became something so totally different. Totally. Um, the thing that I, I loved about it is I used to work on East Campus and we would walk over and you would see this wide variety of people, you know, yeah. um, from all different sort of occupations in there. And it's kind of hard to see that sometimes in Durham now. I yeah. Think. There's multiple places like that. They're just, for me, they're diamonds. You know, mm -hmm. they're just like... I don't know. They're a little kind of sad, but also optimistic. Right. You know, it's just like <laughs> yeah. this beautiful thing that you're not going to get at a McDonald's or a Chick-fil-A. Right. You know, there's like someone's blood, sweat, and tears went into down to everything, the way they painted it. Yeah. You know, the way the colors they chose. Right. Uh, and sometimes it's based on economics. Sometimes it's what they wanted, you know. So right. it's just like I've always had a love for people. Actually, it goes back to when I was in grade school my we used to go to flea markets all the time my mom was an antique dealer and so we would go to rummage sales all the time and there was this little tiny building that was like i don't know it wasn't even big as this room it's probably like 10 feet by four feet six feet maybe it's <laughs> yeah. like this real narrow kind of, it was like a little stand so i think they sold popsicles or something like that and yeah. that i was like that's my future. Like, I'm going to own that building and I'm going to sell something out of it. That's literally, I grew up thinking that was going to be my job. Well, you kind of did it. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Right. Although we didn't sell anything. But um, yeah, I really thought that I would be in some kind of, but I love architecture, like kind of outsider architecture, if you want to call it that. Right. Or things that aren't, um, I guess I have a great admiration for a history and what led up to that. You know, even the building of Lump, you know, I had to figure out, right. like, what this all was and right. who was there and try to preserve that as much as we could. But I'm sure that once, if we were ever sell it, they would just tear it down in a minute that and not even think twice sad. about it. What was that building originally? It was a, what I've heard from people, it was a the Blue Lady Lounge. It was... Um, a shoe repair, upholstery repair, a corner store. Um, everyone thinks it was like a gas station, uh -huh. but that's because of the gate, and we just added that. So you, everyone oh, you, thinks about it. You, yeah. you put that up. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, because we got our windows kicked in right when we first there. Right. So it was like cheaper to get that instead of replacing the glass. So Lump Gallery, which you you started, uh, I think about twenty one years ago. Yeah. Oh, but let me just say this real yeah. quick. Because they just tore down that beautiful gas station next to Explorers. Oh, really? This week. Yeah, no you know way. that place? Yeah. Right across from the Cum Church. Right. Church on Morgan. That's crazy. I call it the Cum Church. <laughs> church on Morgan. <laughs> I didn't realize that. That was a good building. It was beautiful. We actually looked... Actually, someone asked if we would... I think maybe it was Greg Hatem. I don't remember who it was. But the they asked us to trade. Really? And Med and I actually thought about it, you know, right. as a thing, but then, I don't know, it just didn't fall through. Who is Med? So Med is uh, my business partner, and mm. we uh, started Lump in about 20 years ago. Right. 21 years ago. Well, why would y'all do that? Well, I was looking for a studio. 
Mm-hmm. And so with my friend Ava Johnson, who's back actually in Durham now, we used to work at Reckonbox. I don't know if you remember that. It was uh-huh. like the art store. My no. first job in Raleigh. Well, the first job I didn't get fired from. <laughs> that I actually kept. I lost two jobs. I got to know what those were. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I just moved. You know, so I, I have a degree in nonlinear film. Uh-huh. And then uh, I went to go to grad school in San Francisco and met Med and moved here. And, um, and uh, so the first job I got was at this video store. I think it was North American, too. It was out in Apex. So I had to drive all the way to Apex. Uh-huh. And uh, so I had this degree, and I would be like, you know, people would ask me about, like, oh, what do you think about this one? I was like, oh, I wouldn't get that. <laughs> it's like, mm, time cop, I don't know. <laughs> you know, that I remember that's the movie that was hot then. And I was like, yeah, maybe we should try this or something. And the manager came up to me very much like it's in Ghost World, too. Oh, uh-huh. You know that thing yeah, about sure. where that she works at the theater? And she goes, yeah, Bill, you're not really allowed to tell people you don't like it. <laughs> and so I was like, well, they're going to come back and they're going to be mad about like, oh, I recommended a shitty film. Right. You told me Time Cop was good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so that happened a lot. You know, it's just like an unfortunate mix of this girl right out of, fresh out of college She was always telling me, like, I was too slow on the computer, you know, and I was, like, not perky enough and all these different things. And finally, they just said, she just said, yeah, we're not going to be able to have you here anymore. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was humiliating. Mm -hmm. You know, I was like, yeah, but I have a a degree in film. (laughs) I know more than you do. No, I didn't think I had. I was just like, I thought of myself as being, like, a valuable person that could be, like, recommend interesting movies to people. You should have been at Vizart. Oh, yeah, right? (laughs) God, I was so mad that Vizart didn't have a place in Raleigh. They had one in Durham, mm-hmm. you know, and because uh, I I couldn't rent because I couldn't be able to take it back. Vizart was pretty good. It was amazing. Yeah, just I loved that place. It was like an institution. Yeah, when I first moved here. And what was what was another job you didn't hold on to? What was the second one? Oh, I worked for this. <laughs> I don't even know how to say it. Five people don't even know it's here. It's like. There's this website <laughs> that is for – actually, I love talking about it because it really <laughs> helped me out. There's this website called the Eros Guide, or it's eros.com. It's basically a website for escorts. Oh, cool. Yeah, and so they is have – Is that cool? I guess. I, I, I mean, know. I was interested. You know, uh-huh. it's just like – because they build the frames for these people's personal websites, so uh-huh. you can punch it in whatever address you're in. And so I got a job there, and it was like five weeks training. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was like five intense weeks of – they hired like 25 of us. So everything was going well because my – actually, it's kind of bad because my friend worked there, and he kind of helped me get a job. So then because I got fired, it was awful. <laughs> so I was doing all this training and whatnot, and they had sensitivity training about trans escorts and gay escorts and all these different oh, things. Oh, even back then? Yeah. They were trying to this move. This has been like 20 years. Well, it was, it was later. Okay. I think it was after grad school, actually. <laughs> yeah. So they did all this training first, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm pretty decent with that community. No problem. Yeah. I, I love it. And then it really started where you would actually take calls and stuff, and so all that happened, and then... For some reason, I was sending out emails. I was in a show that Ellen was putting together. And I was actually doing this piece about this 
murdered trans woman. And so I'm writing about it on my email and they're reading all your emails and everything. And they're like, I don't know if it was this, but I'm pretty sure it was. But Ellen's like, when's your piece going to be ready for, I think it was one of, that, one of those shows that were in Pittsburgh mm-hmm. at Loom. I think oh, right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Those, were, those were neat. And so I'm writing all about the backstory about how the killer had not been found and all this other stuff. Right. And they probably don't know what the fuck is art, you know? Like, no, of course What is not. this guy talking about? Like a murdered trans person. It's like, so anyway, I didn't make it through training and I got, you know, let go. It wow. was so embarrassing. And But that my boss's name was Stormy. Oh, I like that. Yeah, she was really... Stormy. I even did some drawings about it. It's like, Stormy, why couldn't you tell me? <laughs> why couldn't you tell me, Stormy? <laughs> I think they still exist. I don't know. Eros. I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah, check it out. <laughs> so you were in San Francisco in grad school. I went there and I dropped out. And then you came here to North University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Yeah. What was your work like when you got there? Well, I was here for two years. Before I applied, just go to UNC, mm-hmm. run in the gallery and whatnot. Oh, you oh. did that before? Oh, yeah. I guess I should go backwards and tell you how we got. I always get so sorry. Can we take a little break? Yes. All right. <laughs> Are you tired of people not listening to your endless rants about the multitude of trivial inconveniences you bravely endure on a daily basis? Maybe you can't afford a therapist. Does the inexplicable air turbulence in your office constantly blow important papers off your desk, needlessly forcing you to pick them up? Does your bedroom door mysteriously close when you aren't looking? Is it a ghost? Highly unlikely. How old are you? Six? Don't want to carry a gun? How do you play catch without a ball? Rocks. That's right. Rocks. Think about it. Rocks are the all-in-one solution for these and all of life's daily challenges. Why not? (laughs) We're not allowed to throw them at nerds and hipsters anymore. Might as well use them for something. You can talk about yourself to a rock for hours and days on end without it rudely rolling its eyes and fleeing for the exit. The weight of a fist-sized rock will easily prevent your papers from flying haphazardly around the office in winds up to 74 miles per hour potentially preventing tiny, painful cuts. Ouch. Rocks. Is there anything they can't do? You can find rocks pretty much everywhere for free. (laughs) Who has time for that? Or you can buy the perfect rock directly from us for only $19.99. You're welcome. Hurry while supplies last. If you don't hate what you hear, please tell your friends, family, and random strangers on the street to listen as well. Also, please consider helping us out by subscribing on iTunes, writing a brief comment, and by giving us a rating, preferably a good one. All of these things go a long way towards helping us climb the charts, which help us gain non-fake sponsors. Speaking of sponsors, you can become one by giving us a tax-exempt donation. No amount is too small. If you really love us, you can become a sustainer by pledging as little as $5 a month or as much as $5,000 a month. It's fast and easy. Go to DontYouLieToMe.com and click on the Sponsors page. Hey everybody, it's time to get off your ass and go look at some art. And here's some of the things you might want to check out. 
The 2017 North Carolina Arts Council Artist Fellowship Award Exhibition is currently going on at the Cameron Museum of Art in Wilmington, North Carolina. On view through August 5th, 2018, friends of the show Harriet Hoover, Leanne Jong, and Gina Valentine are among the talented artists that received the prestigious award in 2017 and are included in the exhibition. A hearty congrats to all of the award-winning artists. You can find out more at CameronArtMuseum.org. North Carolina Museum of Art's new exhibition, You Are Here, Light, Color, and Sound Experiences, on view from April 7th to July 22nd. Friend of the show, Heather Gordon, is included in this powerhouse exhibition. If you haven't yet, you should check out her interview in Episode 3. You can find out more about this exhibition at ncartmuseum.org. Please come by and visit me at the Vala Simpson Whirly Gig Park and Museum. That's where I work. I always recommend that people come by in the afternoon and enjoy the whirly gigs in the sunlight. Then they can wait till after dark and check out all the reflective materials. We have interactive light features that really activate all of the reflective materials on the whirly gigs. Come and check it out and let me know when you're coming by. Our website is wilsonwhirligigpark.org. While you're online, don't forget to check out Warren's website at warrenhicks.com. And mine as well, that's jeff-bell.com. Are you tired of being bullied by your peers? Always being told you'll never be number one. No matter how successful or popular you become, do they make fun of your name? Welcome to the world of the number two pencil. That's right, people still use them. We're the Dignity Restoration via Name Change Council, or the Dignity Restoration by Name Change Council for short. Either one's fine, we don't really care. Enough is enough. We don't call winners losers. So why is the number one selling pencil in the world cursed with the name number two? It doesn't make sense. Number two is something your kid just did in his pants. Granted, he also does number one in his pants, which isn't cool either, but it doesn't cause emotional scarring. Bottom line, you shouldn't leave pencils lying around while changing diapers. It's just bad parenting. The number two pencil, it's number one. It has an eraser. So we were talking about how you got into getting lumped to begin with. How did that happen? Yeah, so we were working at Ruckenbox, and Ava and I were looking for a studio. Mm -hmm. And so we're looking for it, like, to rent one. It was, like, $300. Because I really, that's the time when I really started getting back into more visual work that wasn't, you know, film-based. Right. So that's actually when we talk about when I thought about, I was interested in art, you know, Mm -hmm. I think that's when it kind of started. And so I thought, oh, we should have a studio. And so Ava and I were looking around, and um, it was like $300. But back then, it was like, oh, how can I afford a $300 studio? Right. My half, even. So I think I was talking about it with Madden. He he was interested in buying a building at that point. He mm -hmm. was interested in, like, you know, real estate and whatnot. And um, he goes, well, wouldn't it be easier if – we kind of found a building and you could manage it and then other studios and whatnot. And then maybe just by chance you wouldn't have to pay your rent mm -hmm. and you could just like, you know, be the caretaker or whatever. And, right. and so we looked around for that for a little bit. And then there, there was just like this ad in the paper where this, where lump is, was uh, half price. Literally it was like <laughs> building half price. Right. It was like, the, I think it was in the ad even. Wow. And so um, 
we met with the guy that owned it and you know it just was like we had to act within two days to get it oh wow. it was such a good deal right like an unheard of deal in raleigh mm-hmm. and so um yeah we just got it and then then it was just like, oh, shit, what are we going to do with this? <laughs> right. You know, there was like no walls or anything. And we're not construction people. Was it just one open space? No, it was definitely, it was divided. Uh-huh. It was divided. So we thought, okay, I'll divide this into three studios. And, and then it's changed. Like, oh, why don't we just, like, we weren't getting as many people writing, I guess, about the studios. Mm-hmm. So we had gotten some, like Mike Salter mm-hmm. and this guy named George and ceramicist well we were there and so i thought well the other side's a little rough because people had been you know squatting in it Mm. and so i thought so i worked on that and it was almost like too nice to be a studio in my terms and then so we thought oh let's just do a show maybe then we can fill it that way Uh so we just had a little party put some art up had music and stuff like that and then i don't know it just kind of happened that we're like oh let's do shows Mm -hmm. and then at the end of the day i didn't even get a studio so it's like (laughs) Oh, all this work, <laughs> and you know I don't have a studio. So, <laughs> so you, you sort of accidentally fell into being a gallery. Totally, yeah. I mean, I certainly remember, obviously, for the longest time, the studios on one side. Yeah. Um, so that went on for a long time. L- yeah. Most of almost the... twenty years. Yeah, mm-hmm. eighteen years. What is Team Lump? So Mike Salter, myself would always just hang out there. Because I didn't have a studio, so I would work on the floor when the gallery was closed and stuff. And Mike was just a very diligent worker, and he was just always there. So nights we would just sit, talk, and right. talk about the shows that were coming in. And, you right. know, it was such a great experience because all these people would come through town. You know, we'd just hang out with them, put on the show. They'd stay with us, all these kinds of things. Right. And so... um we were talking about like working collaboratively and so we just like you know worked with artists that were kind of located here in north carolina right and then tried to get well the first show was actually at lump the team lump show was like group show number one Mm -hmm. and then it was kind of our goal to really not show so much in north carolina right but just get to travel and we could use the the gallery is kind of like an exchange kind of thing. Like other people could come here and yeah. and you could go there. Yeah, this was just a way to get shows, actually, outside. That's cool. Yeah, so it was like, it was just a good fit. And so, you know, other collectives were happening. Space 1026 was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, Paper Rad was happening, even though they didn't have space. But, you know, some places had more. Fort Thunder was happening, all these kind of, right. you know. It didn't really matter back then if like your collective was just like you worked alone with the collective or you just got together to work with collectives right so we just did it that way and we just you know just kind of evolved into less so much more about less your own aesthetics and more about group think that's cool yeah so it's and it's fun it's just like always like when you get like six people thinking about stuff you know it's a lot of people yeah it was amazing it was It was great. I don't know. It's just like one of the best experiences I ever had working with those guys. That's super cool. Yeah. So you started Lump before you went to graduate school. Yeah. And two years before. I went in 98. So yeah, it started in 96. So two years. Yeah. What were you making when you went to graduate school? Well, I was making work before that. And I think I made everything for my portfolio just to do it. And I was doing like installation and whatnot. Uh-huh. 
Um, I had started this zine called Little Hustler, which is all about the hustlers in Raleigh, mm-hmm. which there were, weren't any. But, I mean, I, there were, but it just like, I didn't have access to them. Right, right. It's just kind of imagined world mm-hmm. of Raleigh's um, hustler scene, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I did installation about that, kind of out of that. And then um, I was making these weird paintings that were like signs hmm. about, yeah, a lot of people don't. I showed them once. I got a show at the Alcott Gallery or the Glass Gallery, and they were asked to take them down and stuff. They were like, all this really horrible graffiti that you would read in the bookstores or the bathrooms or stuff like that. Uh And it was like really nasty, homophobic kind of text. Right. That... um, And I would turn them into like sign, like a sign-painted version (laughs) of it. Right. And so people were like... (laughs) What the hell is Yeah, this? they were like really, like mm. I remember one that just says, fuck you, you faggot fuckers, but in beautiful fonts. Right. You know, so it's just like, oh, what is this, you know, stuff about? It freaks some folks out. Yeah, it just was, it was at UNC and they just said, you know, you either write something about it or we're going to have to take it down. It can't just be its own thing. Yeah, it just can't be. You're going to have to tell people, which I understand, you know. Yeah, but I, I guess I do. At the time I decided like, oh, I'll just take them down. <laughs> <laughs> So is that what you were making when you were in graduate school? That was before, because okay. I have very limited skills. So I was, but I'm a good, <laughs> I'm a decent. I can pull a line, you know. I can make signage. I mean, I'm inspired by, you know, I just come out of San Francisco where it was like Margaret Kilgaren and <laughs> Barry and Chris Johansson were like all coming up at that time. So I was mm-hmm. a huge admirer of their work uh-huh. and just seeing stuff like Chris Johansson used to put work on the telephone poles and people just started taking and collecting uh-huh. it. berries every time he put something up people would take it and sell it so it was a really a golden time to be there that's cool yeah and so i was you know i was trying to bouncing around like looking at that work and seeing right. how i could make it a little different or bring my aesthetic to it and then when you get to graduate school you you continue that or did you just no i started Dealing with sports, which is weird. Um, We're talking about Leroy Neiman again? No, no. (laughs) No, it was all about the male gaze, about like, oh, here's this safety place, safe place where men can look at other men's bodies and Mm -hmm. whatnot. So it was totally like eroticizing sports things. And someone gave me like, it was was all about sports. And so all my materials, everything that I made came from that world. So someone gave me like a box of, I think Carrie actually, <laughs> Alter gave me a box of power balls, power bars, right? That mm-hmm. weird kind of the little thing bar you... that looks like yeah. kind of throw up. It's like yeah. a weird color. <laughs> and so and they were really stiff and I didn't have to work them and I would like chew them into like shapes, like a wrestling singlet <laughs> or a jock strap. You know, mm-hmm. or stuff like that. Right. And so I was just like, <laughs> people were just like, oh, what is this shit? You know? <laughs> and I would do like sports towels. Like I would embroider, like I would go to the Y and there'd be like a ball. Because I, I really got into the bald guy thing then. And so there'd be a bald guy like working out. And then once he like took his towel, like his, like where he wiped his sweat on. Yeah. I would like take the towel and then go home and draw him and then embroider the face, his face, 
on the cell. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So it's like weird, like you always had to have this set of rules of stuff you could do. Yeah. And, what, what's uh, the bald guy thing about? I guess it's this weird coach fetish that I have. Like I just associate baldness with coaches and uh-huh. that whole, it just fit into that. And then I started drawing bald guys and then would make them into paintings and whatnot. Right. Yeah. I was making a lot of crazy shit. I wish I had that energy back. You don't, you don't got that? Not like I did then. Yeah. I guess I'm, you know, you get, you make shit and you don't care. I'm actually getting back to that now though. Now that lump's over and mm-hmm. for me anyway. Um, and so I can get, try to get back into that kind of, I don't care, you know, mm-hmm. attitude, which I did a little bit with Hotel Theory. It was a little bit easier. And the last one at Spectre. Where right. I just was like, you know, whatever. That was, that was super great. Well, that's another one where I went to China. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't do things about Chinese culture. Right. But these fucking tools are amazing. Mm-hmm. You know? And so using Sumi Ink and these amazing brushes, I was just like, right. I just was blown away. So, you know, I watched a lot of people, you know, doing it and just seeing what they were doing. Mm-hmm. My favorite part was this guy that would walk around on the street and he had a bucket of water and he had this huge brush that he would just draw on the pavement in oh, water shit. and then it would slowly evaporate. Oh, that's cool. I was just like, oh, that's magic. You uh-huh. know? That's cool. And so I just wanted to have that kind of fun in the studio, just like laying that ink on thick, right? you know, and just, and I would just draw for, I just drew for a year, like whatever popped into my head, not even thinking it was going to be a show. I just was like, crank that stuff out like you know that's a good thing yeah it was amazing so you didn't do it in anticipation of a show you were just making things yeah yeah it was just a practice that was when i actually had a a studio at lump right and so then i finally talked to al and she was like oh yeah be cool that was i I, I think i was like i have all the shit could (laughs) this be a show yeah sure it can (laughs) so you were at lump and ran lump and owned Lump for like 20 years. Yeah. And then it converted, I think, the beginning of 2017, did I make that up? Yeah. To a nonprofit. Yeah. And Kelly McChesney took the lead, I guess. Yeah, she did a great job transferring it from two spaces to one, mm-hmm. and then the space to a non-for-profit. So it was like this great move that I was dreaming about for years. You did? You were looking forward to it? I was ready to step down for a long time, you know? Yeah. I feel secretly that I just manipulated Kelly into like, <laughs> you should, you know, big spaces are not really that great. <laughs> You're crazy using those big spaces like that. Exactly. How do you do it? You know, <laughs> just like, have you know, go look at the Lower East Side, all these intimate, beautiful spaces. That's really smart. I would have been scared that space she had over across from Cam was massive. I would have been scared to like have to fill that thing up every month. I was afraid to go in there. I mean, it was just like, (laughs) I'm going to break out in hives, you know? (laughs) Right. I mean, it's just like insane, you know? Mm -hmm. It's just like bigger than most Chelsea galleries. And I was just like, wow. So she did it, you know? It's just like... So what is your involvement now? Are are you, is there, I guess there's a board, right? There's a board and I'm on the board and I'm on the advising. Like, I was just like an advisor, however they want to use me. Yeah. You know, like... Oh, I have questions about this, or could you help me with this, or what do you think about this? Right. Like, Kelly was so amazing. She would just say, you know, she was so respectful, too. She's just too sweet for this world. She is. And um, she would just say, like, 
is it sticking within the lump, whatever, aesthetic or whatever? And I was like, Kelly, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. You're the director. Lump will be fine with your directorship or whatever you want to call it. So going back, you you started to do little sort of pop-up type shows at Lump early on. Yeah. Well, actually, no, they weren't pop-up at all. We did one pop-up to get people interested in the space. Right. And then we got on... In September, we got on the first Friday gig. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so after that, it just became like, oh, we have to do another show. Oh, shit. I'm curating things. Yeah. It's like, oh. You how, know. How, did you, how did you deal with that? Like, all of a sudden, I got to put together shows. Well, you know, I just I was interested in mm-hmm. looking at other people's work because I didn't know what the hell it meant to be an artist, too. You know, I'd worked from an administrative place. When I was in Milwaukee, I worked at the Art Museum. Mm-hmm. When I was in San Francisco, I worked at New Langston Arts and Kiki. So I was like interning. Right. And so I kind of observed. So I kind of had a little idea like how you can put a show together. But it's more like say, hey, we have this space. Would you be interested? Right. And I really didn't curate other than asking someone to do it. And then they would just do it was wide open, whatever they wanted to do. So you didn't like go to someone's studio and be like, I want those five paintings. No, no, never. Except once. (laughs) Am I allowed to ask who that is? Yeah, it was Andrea Lechberg. Okay. It was great because it was a, it was a pop art show. It was very early on Mm -hmm. and she made these pop paintings and she hated, like they were like comic book paintings and it was for a show about pop. And she's like, yeah, I don't know how I feel about those. Actually, they were in the North Club Museum of Art. They were, in a show that, like a one of those group shows that they used to do. Right. And so I thought they were amazing. They were like female superheroes, but in a weird pop, more expressive than like a comic book style, uh-huh. like right. Lichtenstein. And so I thought they were just amazing. And then she's like, oh, yeah, I don't know why I made this. She had no connection to them at all. Huh. She was like... My boyfriend was down there, and he liked comic books, and I was stuck with all of them. And so I would just like – she just looked at him like maybe for a second and then just did her own thing. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. It was like crazy. So it was like weird. Like she probably wanted to show something else because she had shown them. I was like, no, I want to show these. So, right. So that was your one time. That was the one time. But otherwise, you know, I just mostly said, hey, you want to do it? It's open for whatever you want to do. Are there certain sort of shows that stick out as sort of – your favorite things are sort of the prime examples of what y'all did or? Hmm. God. Not, you know, it's like kind of a blur. And unless you put images in front of me, I don't really remember that much. Right. I should. I should have thought more about it. But, you know, there's just certain times that was crazy, you know, like I remember like one artist that, you know, was just staying at our house for two weeks after the show and Med and I were just like, when are you going <laughs> to... so it's like those things i remember you know it's all about like weird things that happened outside the exhibitions i don't know i mean i was very lucky to be able to do what i could because i was just like in total amazement i mean but you know of course there was barry mcgee's show where he came and stayed with us for a week that was one person we didn't want to leave right um you know space 1026 would come down and Mm -hmm. they all would stay with us and a lot of those shows like Barnstormers, I remember mm. we had like, they, Barnstormers at the time had a huge Japanese group that worked with them. So I remember just 
they came down and did that great show with like I think it was like a hundred speakers where they painted it all and it mm-hmm. all ran off an iPod. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that was an amazing show, and they stayed. All of them stayed on a on our floor that night, those two nights, and then went up to Cameron to do the painting. So that's just, cool. Yeah, there was just like tons of stuff. You miss it? Mm, I miss the people, you know, mm-hmm. and having that close, like watching them. Like I'm a, yeah. you know, I just like to watch how they do things. Like right. Daniel Davidson, Becca, my friend Becca came and did these amazing shows. Tammy Ray Carlin, you mm-hmm. know. For me, it's more like a, it's like was a learning. It's like grad school. Actually, you think you took away for your own sort of way of thinking? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. It was a very selfish thing <laughs> that I did. It was just like, oh, that sounds great, right? You know, it was all like about my like what I could get, like what's the best show I can get for? Yeah, minus. Was it? I'm sure it was like hectic. Like some somebody would call you and be like, I can't fucking get there. Did that ever happen where it was just like rushing to make something happen? Oh, yeah. And all these people were – well, actually, it didn't happen ever. Maybe once. Only once, That's I pretty think. damn good. Yeah, because people – I would plan way far out because all these people would have to take – all these artists, I should say, had to take off, you know, and get right. down here somewhere because it was mostly people from Chicago, New York, whatever. And um, we had made a good connection with a lot of artists in Williamsburg at that time. Mm-hmm. And so they're like – Oh, yeah, I'll come down there. No problem. Like, it was mostly people wanted to come down. Right. So it was like, oh, it'll be a little vacation. We'll do the show. You know, they get a decent audience and, mm-hmm. you know, it'll be fun. I don't even know if this is a question, but when I think about when I think about the shows I've seen there, I think about sort of a musicality. Oh, yeah. Do you think in those terms? or Totally. Yeah. I always wanted to be a musician. You, you did? I, well, I didn't want to be a musician, per se. I wanted to be in a band. And, you know, Dale Fladham, who's one of the early tenants, and he moved to Raleigh the same time I did from San Francisco. And we were actually in San Francisco at the same time. He was in this band called Steel Pole Bathtub. Mm -hmm. And earlier, when I was back in Milwaukee, I had actually written them a fan letter. Oh, wow. I still have the thing, yeah. And then we both ended up in Raleigh within a month of each other. Oh, Not knowing crazy. each other, except for I knew he was in a band, you know, mm-hmm. and he made work and stuff. And so that was a big influence, too, about doing these exchanges like we would go on the road and, right. you know, put a show up. It seems kind of like a band, right? Oh, yeah, totally. Team Lump became like that mentality, but just with the visual art. Right. I want to do that. Warren, can you make that happen for me? Oh, yeah. Thank you. Well, you can be part of the Team Lump group now. We're actually doing a show. Uh-huh. Yeah, we're doing a show. It hasn't been since St. Louis that we did the show. Oh, I remember that. And it's going to be in, at Greensboro. At the project space or at the... No, it's at the... Oh, the gallery? Yeah, the gallery in the Fine Art oh, cool. Gallup Museum. That's uh, a big space. It's amazing, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you want to put something in? Hell yes. Okay. I feel like I put pressure on you to make that happen. No. I just was just saying I like it. Yeah, we'll add you to the email list. Cool. That's how it is. Like, oh, I have an idea about that. It's about fast food. Oh, I like fast food. Or like food. shitty food that's also good. You know, it's like... Right. Yeah. That makes me think about the show you did at the Rubenstein. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was kind of an evolution of... Well, you had Biscuit King on display, right? Yeah. And then you made like a pop-up, or not I don't want to say pop-up, but like you constructed a little 
How would you describe it? Yeah, it's like a walk-up. It's almost like that building that I was telling you about that I'm going to work there. You know? That's like, what made it. Of, that's what I was thinking about yeah, when you said that. I basically made that building. <laughs> right. on, you know, it's on Blood Street, too, which is great. Mm-hmm. In McGuanago, Wisconsin. Check it out. I hope it's still there. I'll, I'll go. <laughs> so I'll make a... It was called Biscuit Station. Biscuit Station. And like a person would walk up and you were at the counter. Yep. And I would order a biscuit. Yeah. What happens if I order an egg and bacon biscuit? Then we will take your, I'll take your order and mm-hmm. then I'll give it to the workers in the back and they will actually make a block print of your order. And who were the workers? Uh, my students. That's very cool. Yeah, they actually carved all the blocks and everything. <laughs> they did all the printing. Right. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, they, I can't they helped even... build it, you know. They were amazing because, I don't know, just, I guess something fell through with I wasn't getting help from Duke. They're like, what? I'm not, I'm an artist. I'm not working on someone else's fucking thing. Right. And so, uh, (laughs) (laughs) but my students were really kind of into it, you know. I I bet. Yeah. And so they were just, I was surprised because, you know, that they would drive all the way to Durham. Oh, man. I I can't even imagine being in high school school. and being in that kind of, like having that opportunity. I would have been freaking out. Oh, they just thought it was no, they they're not like that. Yeah. They they're just like, you know, think of me as like a big joke kind of. So. No, I don't think that's true. Well, they were sweet to help me out anyway. I mean, I th- we get along. We get along like equals. Right. You know. I think what they do is amazing and How, how long have you been teaching? Mm, 10 years at Raleigh Charter. And you it's like it? Year. Yeah. It's amazing to have a job in the arts. Uh-huh. That's full time with benefits. Yeah, that's I'd, I'd like a benefit. I know, right? <laughs> It's like yes. it took me 10 years to get it. Right. You know, so. <laughs> what classes do you teach and how do you approach it? Well, I just teach it like I taught when I taught at UNC and mm-hmm. Wake Tech. And I taught at Mount Olive for a long time. And mm-hmm. actually not at Mount Olive. Technically, it was at Seymour Johnson and Gold. Remember? You yeah. used to live in. Oh, I still live in. I live in Goldsburg again. The yeah. Exciting big city. Exactly. I actually loved going to Goldsburg Friday night. I would drive out there, had a five-hour class. Holy shit. And I would go to that restaurant on the way outside of the Seymour Johnson. That was like a steak place, but it also had like a salad bar. Western Sizzlin'? Yes. That was my first official job was washing dishes at that place. I love that place. (laughs) And I would just like, wait. I'd be thinking about it all during class. I was like... I'd let them out early just so I could make it too. I got to get to the buffet line. I Let's know. get out of here, kids. <laughs> Times are wasting. <laughs> well, my mom, my mom taught um, science at Mount Olive and, and through Seymour Johnson. Yeah, it's pretty. Listen, funny. that place saved my life. You know, really, because it was like Friday nights. I could work during the week. You know, mm-hmm. it was consistent. It wasn't even an art job. It was art appreciation. And so it was like a five-hour class on Fridays for eight weeks. Like you're showing slides. Mm. Or like just saying like, uh, <laughs> I hate to admit how horrible I was, but I was I would literally just read out the book mm-hmm. and just say, "Hey, you need to know this for the exam." And so I would read the passage. I was like, "Underline this is going to be on the test." Right. You know, and then we would watch like Basquiat. Oh, hey, that's good. Yeah, and then they would go like, um, uh, they would come to the gallery for a first Friday opening. Oh, cool. That's professional practice. Kind of. Sure. And then they'd have to go to the art, art museum. So I'd give, so I literally only had to teach six nights. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So it was like, and then I would get paid. It was an amazing gig, you know. How much of like what you, what you do now is 
like appreciation sort of stuff. How much are you telling people about art in general? Like I said, I knew nothing about art when I left high school. If someone had told me about things in high school, I would have loved it. These kids aren't really that into it. I'm try to give it to them, you know, like, I don't know. It's maybe they are. I don't know. I wish there was more of a, I could bring into what I know, but a lot of them just aren't into it. I don't know why. It's just like, they aren't into I, looking at art or making art or what? Looking at art as much. They like making it? They want to make it. Uh-huh. They all want to make it. Sure. But um, not being very aware of what's actually going on. Right. It's a little harder to sell to them. Maybe that comes later. I don't know. Hopefully, yeah. I mean, I, who... Maybe you get to the point where you're like, I wonder if somebody's done this before. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they're just like, I know what I'm doing. Don't worry, I'm a good... I'm a good artist. I know what I'm talking about. Exactly. The show at 21C, you're going to do a, a book talk, right? Yeah. 21C is um, helping me print this book of the drawings that I made in just my sketchbook. So oh, they're sweet. not real drawings. They're just like, you know, sketchbook drawings about, they're kind of about Mexico and they're kind of about just whatever I'm thinking as well. Oh, wow. They're printing that for you. Yeah. And you're, they're going to do a, like a book signing. You're going to talk about it? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I don't know when it, I have to go up to New York and finish it. So yeah. it's like, hopefully it will get done in time where, where they don't pull the plug on it and say, <laughs> you know, we're good. So, so that'll happen sometime in April if people pay attention to what they're doing. Yeah, well, I think in April there'll be a talk, which I kind of want to do. I had a practice run with Amy White, mm-hmm. and she actually went and read all the books like, wow. yeah, so it's crazy. So I thought, hey, could we just have like a nice discussion about it? Oh, that would be cool. Yeah, instead of me just talking. She's really smart. Did oh, you know I... that, Warren? Oh, yeah. I oh, miss her writing oh, for the indie. She's indie. the best. She's the best. Yeah. Every time I get to hang out with her, it's like, I just lose track of time. It's just like, oh, we're like this, 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 this. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's crazy. And you've got prints, right? For sale? Did I make that up? No, they are there. Yeah. Those were actually... I made them, Bill made them, Bill Fick made them at the Rubenstein. Uh-huh. I just asked them to change the color for <laughs> right. match the show. Bill Fick is like my favorite person in the whole in world. In the world. He's the one that got me the, jo- the job, the uh, residency at the Rubenstein. Right. I was like, are you sure? <laughs> yeah. It's like a dream thing to That have. did sound really cool. Yeah. It was amazing. I never wanted it to end. I was just like, and I was going there religiously. Right after school, I would go and stay as long as I could. That's cool. Yeah, it was amazing. That guy's like the most humble guy, but so good. He's. We are so lucky to have him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think so, too. You curated the, the big show at CAM. Yeah. And what was that called? Uh, the Nothing That Is. The Nothing That Is. Yeah. And that was just a whole lot of work in that show. Yeah. It was, it was really cool. It was a big show about drawing, and mm-hmm. I love it. Um, actually, I... It came about in a weird way because Jason Pullen, who's a good friend of mine and shown at the gallery and whatnot, him and I thought, oh, let's do something together with Stefan Marx from Germany. And uh, so we just kind of proposed this small show that was going to be in a, the back, back room. Right. And then they came back to us. They're like, well, why don't you make it bigger? Mm-hmm. You know, and then... Then, like, how about the whole museum? And I was like, 
in six months too. I was like, okay. So it really couldn't have happened unless Jason was involved because right. he knows every single drawer and probably New York and LA. And so he brought so much to it. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of focused on the North Carolina ones and the more conceptual side of things. So. And then traveled it to Ohio. Yeah. And, but it was different, right? Actually, Kentucky. Kentucky, I'm sorry. But it's like Cincinnati. You right were right across, across the, bridge. the bridge. Yeah. Right. So whenever I say, I say Cincinnati, but it's in Covington, actually. That's true. Yeah. It's an old um, Carnegie Library, mm -hmm. and it's this amazing space. And so the show was a little different. Jason couldn't be part of it as much as I would have liked it. But it all worked out great. I met so many amazing artists there that we just added to. So it basically, we took it on the road and brought some of the North Carolina artists with us, but then added a big Cincinnati, Ohio presence right. to the thing. So I really like it there. Yeah. I would live there in a minute. Oh my god, I did I I don't know why, but I didn't think it was like so hilly and like neighborhoody and cool. And the houses are gorgeous and mm -hmm. yeah, they have two good universities and Yeah, I'm gonna move there. Let's start a art colony there. Thank you, Bill. Hey, thank you for having me. You got a website. Yeah. It's BillThelan.com. Yeah. Did I make that up? No, it's out there. <laughs> <laughs> Bill Thielen. B-I-L-L-T-H-E-L-E-N. Dot com. Dot com. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. God, I love your podcast. You do? Yeah, I've been listening to them all. I almost didn't want to come because I thought, these are all so good. And what am I going to say, you know? Warren edits them so that they make sense. I just ramble. I love the intros and all the little blips. That's that's all Warren. So good. Cool. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. <sighs> Are you tired of using those trendy dry erase boards? We thought so. Maybe it's time to reacquaint yourself with chalk. It's not just for outlining dead bodies anymore. You can write words or even sentences you can draw pie charts or pie equations, even pie recipes. Oh, and you could take it a step further too. You can draw pictures of your freshly baked pies. Chalk, that's right, chalk. Ever try to draw on a sidewalk with a dry erase marker? It doesn't work. Hey, dry erase markers, it's chalk calling. Eat our dust. Hey there, we're here with Lizzie McNary. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited that you're here. Yes. Now, um, we're going to talk about an initiative that you started called Matrons of the Arts. Did I say that right? Yes. And that's at the North Carolina Museum of Art. But first, we'll get a little bit of background on who you are. You're originally from Atlanta. I am. I'm from Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And um, when I graduated from high school, my family moved to California. That's a big difference. Yes. So <laughs> I think we fit a little better in California, though. So I kind of claim both places. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I moved um, to Raleigh about seven and a half years ago, almost eight, actually, from California. Mm -hmm. And what brought you to the North Carolina Museum of Art? Why did you start to have a connection there? Yeah. So that's a great question. When we decided to move uh, to North Carolina, my husband's from here, we were coming back for his work. And my career was in the jewelry industry. And I 
honestly kind of had my dream job. So I moved rather reluctantly. Oh, wow. And we took a trip to Hawaii before we came back to the East Coast. And while we were there, my husband handed me a magazine and he said, look, Lizzie, I promise you really cool things are happening in Raleigh. (laughs) And it was a town and country interview. And it was talking about um, Larry Wheeler and Iris Cantor and her huge gift of the Rodin sculptures. Right. So when we moved, my sweet mother-in-law said, how can I help? I know that you don't know anyone, and who can I introduce you to? And um, my number one person was, can you please introduce me to Larry Wheeler? And so she did, and he was so sweet and got me involved um, right away, and it really made all the difference. That's super cool. Yeah. And so what was the sort of inspiration for Matrons of the Arts? Well, so I have two boys, and my oldest, um, I was looking at kindergartens for him. Mm -hmm. And while we were doing the tours and all the um, parents were asking about test scores and teacher-student ratios, my um, question was always the same. Can I see your art room? So I would go in, and there was always an art history component um, on the walls. They were either pictures of really famous artists that you would recognize or works that were um, that everyone would know. Yeah. And um, with only one school exception, there wasn't one woman artist on those walls. Mm-hmm. And um, I really noticed it. And I started to think about what we were doing to children when we would say you could be anything you want to be, but yet they weren't seeing themselves represented. Right. And so... I then started to think, okay, well, who are my favorite female artists mm-hmm. and who, which artists are in my collection? And I started to realize that there was just this giant, giant gap mm-hmm. in my education around women in the arts. Right. And so I was like, no problem. Like, I'll go to our bookstore at the museum and I'll buy a bunch of books and I'll learn all about these incredible women. And when I got to the bookstore, there was only one book. Mm. in the whole bookstore about um, a female artist and specifically about one particular female artist. And I started to realize that this, this needed to change, you know? And um, so I called up Larry and I said, Larry, I have this idea. What do you think about doing a women's initiative at the museum? And I'd prepared all these notes with my argument and, and everything. And like within two minutes, he was like, yes, Let's do it, mm-hmm. you know, for sure. We need this. So we we got to work. And the reason for the name, The Matrons of the Arts, was that I um, was doing a studio visit with Stacey Lynn Waddell. Mm-hmm. And I said to her, you know, as an artist, how can this initiative help you and help female artists? And she said, you know, we really need to be connected with patrons. We need people who are passionate about our work too and who can help us. Mm -hmm. And while I really agreed with what she was saying, something just wasn't quite sitting right. Mm -hmm. And that night I woke up at two in the morning and I had this idea. I know, I know why this didn't feel right. Here we are talking about a women's initiative, but we're using a masculine word. Mm -hmm. And the phrase matrons of the arts came to mind. Oh, cool. And um, so I called up my mom the next day and I said, okay, 
I have a name for the initiative mm-hmm. and it's going to be Matrons of the Arts. And she was like, oh, no, <laughs> that's an awful name. Like I've spent the last 30 years trying to avoid that word. Mm-hmm. And I said, exactly. And it's about time we take it back. So Very cool. Yeah. And so what was your first step to sort of making that a reality or the first sort of way you approached it? I think that the first thing I would say is like, Though I brought the idea to the museum, it has been something that the museum has completely rallied behind. And I have had the honor of working with so many amazing people within the museum, as well as board members and other people who have supported it as well. Um, There were a couple main first steps that we did. One was that I... I probably ordered 45 books Mm -hmm. (laughs) off of Amazon and read them and took these giant books to the bookstore. And I said, we need some of these. Like we, a little girl or an adult or a teenager needs to come in and see themselves. They need to see that there have been phenomenal women in the arts and that we're highlighting them. Mm -hmm. So we got a bunch of books and have a wonderful table now at the museum um, highlighting women in the arts. That's cool. Um, So that was one thing. And then we... While I was doing all my research, I kept a list of women artists that I had been really inspired by. Mm -hmm. And um, one of them was an artist uh, by the name of Harriet Hosmer, who is considered to be the first uh, female professional sculptor, American sculptor. Mm -hmm. And I got an email from um, a curator at the museum, and he said, I don't know if you're interested in this, but I think she's really important, and she's coming up for auction does oh, wow. the initiative have any interest in helping to purchase this? Mm-hmm. And I was like, yes, let's do it. Let's get it. So mm-hmm. we now have a beautiful sculpture uh, called Daphne by Harriet Hosmer in our wow. um, American gallery. That's um, so cool. Which is really exciting. And then lastly, um, when I was doing this research, I also came across a great book called Broad Strokes, uh, 15 Women Who Made Art and History in That Order. And I read it for about 10 minutes and was like, oh, my gosh, like we need we need Bridget Quinn to come. That's the author to come speak at museum. She is incredible. She was writing in a way that was very accessible. I'm sure you have done a lot of art reading. Some of it is is dry and mm-hmm. it's a bit intimidating for someone who isn't an art history major. And it um, could be dry for people that are. Art it is. That's, thank you. <laughs> that's 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 true. And she wasn't. She was just awesome and mm-hmm. so fun. So I contacted her on Facebook and I said, you know, will you come talk? Will you come for our you know, launch weekend, basically. And she said, yes. So she came in January, this January, and um, gave a lecture that, you know, I am so thrilled to say was uh, sold out. And, um, you know, I I think that the fact that it was is proof that people really want to hear this story, you know, and um, they want the whole story of art, not just the the his story, but the her story of it. So those are a couple key things that we've done so far. Very cool. Yeah. It's been 20 years since I got my undergrad degree. And I remember then, and of course, before then, people were like, why don't we have women represented in our history books? And then our, it's difficult. I mean, as you know, as someone that's had to go out, it's it's not like, well, now it's a little bit easier, but it's not like you had a one-stop shop to try to fill in all those gaps in art history to find the names and examples of all these incredible artists that just 
were out there, but almost forgotten. Yes. So that's super cool. And I think that you um, raise a good point with that phrase, like that we almost forgotten, because um, I came across a great quote by Judy Chicago mm-hmm. not too long ago. And um, to totally paraphrase it, she said, you know, throughout time, women have you know, struggle to make their art and to make a name for themselves in the arts and have constantly been written out of history. Like there have been women who were really successful in their lifetime that then keep getting kind of forgotten and left out in the retelling of that time. Mm Mm-hmm. That's what's incredible is, is it's not that they didn't exist or weren't recognized in their own time period. They were often, but then for one reason or another, usually you know the reason, but they were not mentioned. Right. And so that's that's really super cool. Now, how can a person get involved with this initiative? I would say that the best way to begin is to, if you just Google Matrons of the Arts, the North Carolina Museum of Arts um, main page for it will come up. And as you read a little bit about the description of the initiative, at the end, you'll come across um, a place where you can sign up for our newsletters, as well as a contact for um, Marjorie Hodges at the museum, um, both her email and her phone number. And Marjorie has just been such a delight to work with mm-hmm. and has been such a wonderful partner um, with this initiative as well as so many other wonderful people at the museum. And she is um, probably the best person to, or is definitely the best person to contact. Also, I would say that I, um, I've had the most fun on Facebook and on Instagram sharing about some of these women mm-hmm. that I um, have come across so if you wanted to follow me on Facebook, um, I post a lot of articles. So oh, cool. Lizzie Cheetah McNary on Facebook and then Instagram, it's just Lizzie McNary. Very cool. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that times are changing and they're shifting. And mm-hmm. I'm I'm so excited about that. We um, just did a studio visit this last week with Susan Harbage Page, a group of us did. And, you know, one of my friends... Uh, texted me and said, my son is um, home from boarding school and he'd really like to come. Is that okay? And I loved the fact that there was no question of, oh, is this just a women's group or mm-hmm. I shouldn't come because it's, you know, there are no men. Like we really want men involved in this initiative too. At its base, this initiative is about great art and mm-hmm. the women who made that possible, um, both as artists and you know, some of the greatest supporters of the arts have been women throughout sure. time. You know, mm-hmm. Peggy Guggenheim and, and the women who, who started MoMA and the Whitney. I mean, this, but they have always been called patrons, you know, and so we're right. just going to use cool. our words a little more directly and, and call them matrons. Well, I love that you're um, you're dealing with the art historical, those people from the past that maybe we they don't get enough attention, but you're also very um, aware and engaged with artists that are in our area and working yes. right now. Because you mentioned, too, that we're big fans of, and, and wow. we've interviewed uh, Susan for an episode. So Yes, and, um, and I would be remiss if I didn't also mention um, Stacy Kirby, Stacy Lynn Waddell, um, Heather Gordon, Mm-hmm. Carrie Alter and uh, Leanne Jung are all so phenomenal. And uh, Leanne Jung, the museum just acquired one of her pieces. Mm-hmm. And I 
was able to see it recently, and it is so spectacular in person. She's incredible. Yes, she really is. There, There is just so much incredible talent right here in North Carolina. And I think that one of the things that I've just been so amazed at is the fact that these artists seem to be coming from a place of abundance in that I get to know them. And then they say, Anne, do you know about my friend? And do you know about her? She's the best painter I know right now. Have you seen her installations? And and it's been so wonderful because then I've gotten to know even more fabulous artists that I didn't know. So Mm -hmm. I I think that's one thing that um, I've always been blown away by in our area. Mm -hmm. Um, Certainly any artist that you meet, a professional artist wants to be successful and wants their work collected and shown, but you'll find a real spirit of support and um, people that want to see their friends and and colleagues succeed as much or more than themselves. So that's really a, a cool thing. I've really loved being a part of that and seeing that in action. So you've gone through, you've done all this research, you found out a lot of new things about women artists. Um, can you give us some examples of some discoveries you found along the way? One of the things that was um, most interesting to me as I began this journey with the Matrons of the Arts was looking at some underlying prejudice and ranking on different types of art. Mm -hmm. Um, This became clear to me when the initiative was first starting and um, Jennifer Dassel came to me and said, I have this wonderful show that we've, you know, that's already planned, that's going to go up with the initiative, have any interest in being involved. And um, she said, "It's, it's this fabulous textile artist. I asked to see the work, and it was by um, an artist named Andrea Donnelly, who I am absolutely in awe of now. Um, She studied at NC State and Mm -hmm. now lives in Richmond. And I realized how incredibly important that kind of work is, how important textile artists are, and how that sometimes has been undervalued in the art world Mm -hmm. and really really deserves its place in museums because it's just phenomenal work. Right. Louise Bourgeois started her artwork um, repairing tapestries with her mother. Mm. You know, this is this is something that, um, you know, has a long history and is some really important work. Very cool. Yeah. You're out there. You're looking at artwork. Is there some show out there that maybe we want to keep an eye on? Oh, I'm glad you asked. There are two shows that I'm super excited about. Mm-hmm. Um, one is at the North Carolina Museum of Art called You Are Here. Mm-hmm. And it is a, a pretty different show than the museum has done in the past in that mm-hmm. it's really experiential. And you walk into different parts of the museum and artists have taken over these parts and made these installations. And there are so many amazing uh, women artists in this. Um, our local um, Heather Gordon has We're a wonderful- We're super excited to yes, see it. Yes, it, mm-hmm. it, it's amazing. I was at the museum last week and, oh, and cool. I've seen it in process and it's great. And other artists like uh, Sue Sunny Park and um, Yayoi Kusama, um, McLean Thomas are gonna be in that show. And I just think it's gonna be phenomenal. And another show, that is actually going to be in uh, Charlotte, March 21st through May 11th at um, Soko Gallery, is um, by an artist named Shara Hughes. Um, she's a friend from Atlanta, grew up in Atlanta, and who has just really done such 
an amazing job with her with her art. She was um, recently in the Whitney Biennial. She uh, had a piece that um, was just purchased by um, the Met. Wow. And she is a total superstar and such a lovely person um, on top of that. And so I'm super excited about her show at SoCo. That's very cool. Which Warren, is a great you... gallery for anyone who hasn't been. It's worth the trip. I've never been. Warren, are you going to drive me down there? Oh, hell yeah. Thank you, Warren. <laughs> I'll go with you. I'll see it again. Oh, cool. <laughs> well, thank you so much for talking with us. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Anytime. <laughs> If you're new to the podcast, please check out our previous episodes. You can find them on our website, don'tyoulietome.com, or wherever you found this one. Don't You Lie to Me is physically sponsored by VAE Raleigh, a 501c nonprofit creativity incubator. You can find out more about them at vaeraleigh.com. We'd also like to thank Matt McMichaels for the use of his studio, Trusty Woods. Our theme song was written by our own Warren Hicks, and our logo design was created by Artsy Martha. Don't forget to check out our website at don'tyoulietome.com. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe and tell your friends and family to listen as well. <laughs>